And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. As we begin a Tuesday, Gary, how are you? I'm doing very, very well. Uh, I mean, I was when I got up. I'm you know getting all the garbage ready to put out uh, in the morning because I'm saying to myself. Well, I got to make sure that the garbage is ready to go out Monday morning and then realize it will be Tuesday morning. <laughs> ah, yeah. I got up Monday evening and got the uh, garbage ready to go out. That's what I call show prep. <laughs> we'll be putting all of that garbage out in the next five hours. Well, I will have to uh, <laughs> store it until Thursday comes along. <laughs> Actually, that's good because in your mind, if you think it's Monday and it's a Tuesday, it means by the time bonus. it gets to Friday, I'll think it's Thursday, and it will be all good. Our trash day is Tuesday, so we didn't uh, didn't really do much over the weekend. My oldest grandchild officially walked the stage uh, for graduation. She graduated high school. She actually finished wow. last year, but wanted to walk with her class. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, because I remember... 18 years coming up June 18th. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Because we've been together 18 years as of July 15th, and I remember you talking about that when we started together. She was a brand-new baby. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she's now in college. She started college classes, actually, while she was in high school and now is doing her full-time college classes. Uh, but wanted to walk with the rest of her class, and she did so. Uh, Very interesting. Very large class. It was hundreds of kids at this school. It's a massive, massive school. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. You you listen to what kids say, and, and, uh, you know, a lot of it, the, the the kids, uh, we we kind of just dismiss them. They're smart. I think they get a lot of things, and I believe 
I can't prove this. It's anecdotal. But I believe that that generation is kind of getting back to the, yeah, that's not going to work approach. (laughs) There's a generation ahead of them that is screaming like children. And I think from what I heard and saw yesterday and what I've talked to my granddaughters about, it's very, they're very pragmatic as a generation, I believe. And the reason I say that is it's not just my grandchildren. Uh, my my four oldest uh, all uh, are all under one household, and in talking to them over the years, I realized well something is going to change. It, it does with each generation. Your four oldest grand grandchildren, grandchildren right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I said. And so, well, you, just, well, you had said that before, but then you just said my four oldest, and it sounded like you were talking about your kids. No, I said grandchildren. Yeah, and my four oldest grandchildren the first time, yeah. Right, the first time, the second time. Yeah. That's why I was, I was just making sure that it was yeah. the same. Okay. Yeah, so the, so yeah, we're good. So, <laughs> <laughs> long weekend. Uh, so the, the entire equation with where they are, I think, is kind of where you would naturally see that pendulum. And it's not that they're not liberal, they're liberal, but I think they're a lot more pragmatic about it. They're not the scream-in-your-face liberal. I'm sure there might be a few of them. Uh, but we've we've been able to meet some of their friends that they hang around with. So it is, it is generational. Look, they all have their share of uh, issues and problems and everything else, and also issues that they have with the rest of the world. That's just natural for that age. Do they feel that since they're graduating from uh, high school that uh, they're not worried about college because the world is going to end mm. in five years? No. I don't – I didn't – I don't know of anyone that, that, are, that they are friends with who is not going to college. Okay. Uh, my oldest granddaughter, her – Two younger sisters, the one, the they're twins, uh, right below her, a couple of years younger. They've already started their college classes, just like she did. Uh, you can do that and and get ahead. Uh, my yeah, my I, oldest granddaughter will have her associates uh, this time next year. Yeah, I took a class. Yeah. I took a college calculus class while I yeah. was still in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're taking. Uh, Multiple courses, trying to get, you know, all of their basics out of the way. And then that way they could move on. And uh, my oldest granddaughter, when she was a baby and I would hold her, she had this fascination with my teeth. (laughs) And it was so funny. And she used to hold my mouth open and then just look up real close. What are those things in your mouth? And she has decided to become a dental hygienist. That's awesome. Yeah. And I had wow. to, I didn't, I hadn't told her that story when she was a baby, her mm-hmm. fascination with teeth. And, uh, and then I told her recently after she told everyone she's, uh, going to, uh, become a dental hygienist, I, I reminded her of that. And she says, well, I guess it's, it's natural. And, uh, her youngest sister is going to join ROTC. And is aiming to be in the Air Force. So we learned that 
just a few weeks ago. So it's, uh, and she's got the perfect mindset for it, being an Air Force brat. She's got the perfect mindset for it. But it's interesting watching the younger generation, and you think, oh, man, we're all doomed. And trust me, we're doomed. But the idea of them not knowing their way, and I, I think it has to do, there's a lot that has to do with, different cultures in different parts of the country that that's true whether they're children or adults but you see the i think the pragmatic approach that has been taken and they don't they're not interested you know look they use tiktok for for entertainment they laugh at the little 30 second videos uh and they they're not it's it's nothing that they take seriously they're not using it a measure any kind of standard of popularity or anything like this. It's just simply watching a video. The youngest of my oldest four grandchildren, the one that is going into the Air Force, doesn't even like TikTok. She will be 15 in September, Mm -hmm. and she doesn't like TikTok at all. She doesn't like social media. She, her cell phone screen was broken for over a month she says i i didn't miss it (laughs) and you know those are what's wrong with her yeah exactly (laughs) and i read again another trend and i don't know if it's part of the same one you and i talked about months ago and it's young people wanting to go back to flip phones now i talked to a guy who owns a repair shop a cell phone repair shop and he says, you mean, the, you mean the fold or flip phone? I said, no. I know the difference between the two. She said, or, or they're talking flip phones, and my and that particular granddaughter actually mentioned being okay with having just uh, being able to call and text and a flip phone. It wouldn't bother her a bit. That's all she wants to do is make a phone call or send a text. She has no interest in having a phone near her a hundred percent of the time she really doesn't and i said well you're going to start learning to drive in in the fall and she said yeah still doesn't change anything i'll keep it near me because if i'm once i get my license i'll be driving and i'll i'll need that for an emergency but that's the way they look at it many young kids now looking at it saying we don't want to be a part of the because they children aren't stupid they can look at, at the – they're very perceptive. They can look at the world of social media and go, yeah, that's crazy. I don't need that in my life at all because it doesn't mean anything. It's not real. And they gauge it properly, uh, the ones who are behaving this way. And now I think it's, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what social media does in response to that. You know, how you, mm-hmm. how you, if you're losing generations of they're they are interested in watching YouTube videos, kind of like we are just different content, but watching YouTube video uh, videos on a number of things. And it's not necessarily the, the cat videos that were pure entertainment no. videos. It's instructive uh-huh. videos. Hey, what can I do if, if this happens? What can I do? How can I fix this? If this breaks or whatever it might be. And they just kind of look for the answers. Uh, that was part of the, that was one of the discussions that I had with a number of people over the weekend 
you know, just, uh, you know, talking about how much you watch television versus how much you watch streaming. And, and I really, I got into a couple of conversations, uh, with, uh, with people about the fact that, you know, I have, you know, commercial free YouTube and that the content on there, the individual content and the technology has gotten so, so easy where you can be just an individual with a smartphone. Yeah. And you can actually make things that seem to be almost broadcast quality mm-hmm. because of the high definition that you can put in and all the new editing stuff that exists out there. Mm-hmm. And it really, really is, you know, interesting. And we were talking about this, uh, about, you know, in fact, we talked about this a little bit last week with the writer strike going on. It's like, well, I don't miss anything because the, the programming right. that I'm watching is a lot of, oh, how to do this on YouTube. And, and it goes all across, and we st- I started getting into different you know, uh, uh, channels that I watch with uh, with people, and I said, well, what makes it beautiful is not having the commercials cut in every couple of seconds, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the time that I spend uh, uh, on that, uh, just being able to watch on a number of different websites for the show, things yeah. that happen in Congress yeah. now yeah. that are actually broken down for you. Because mm-hmm. the one thing is that one of the worst things when you're a radio talk show host is, all right, I want to see what happened today. Where can I find it? Okay, C-SPAN has it. It's nine hours, yeah. and you have to go through the nine hours to find out exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. And you'll have a lot of websites that break it down saying, okay, here's this Republican congressperson talking to this per- you know, talking right. to this person. And you can get so much of it, and they do the editing. You know, they basically do the editing for you. So... Uh, you know, it, I understand completely. And when you were saying about your granddaughter, you know, just saying that a flip phone would be fine, I just think about where we would be if we weren't doing our job because that's one another discussion that I got in with people who were saying, yeah, I, I just don't use my phone as much, you know, just to keep in contact and see what other, you know, friends are doing and things like that. And And they're like, you're on yours all the time, aren't you? And I said, mm-hmm. constantly. And and mm-hmm. when talking about getting a new phone, mm-hmm. it's, you know, one of the things is uh, because I plan on getting a new phone here. But one of the things I talked about w- with my friends was they said, ah, you know, you know, you need to go Apple. You need to go iPhone. Mm-hmm. I said, sorry, I got got to have the stylus. Mm-hmm. Got to have it because mm-hmm. I use it all the time mm-hmm. because yeah. I'm constantly on my phone, but it's all part of work. And I just really wonder if I wasn't doing this, I will always be on it because it's become such a habit. And even if I decide someday way down the road to retire, I'll still want to know what's in the news anyway. Well, I think that's it. I think doing this, you're, we're naturally curious and, and like people, our listeners and, and, and uh, people who listen to talk radio in general, you're looking for those answers. That's interesting. I had a conversation with, this photographer that I worked on a project with, and he said, uh, and I told him, I said, I have an Android, but I have a MacBook at home. He goes, well, that doesn't make any sense. You can't take your music with you. I said, I don't download music. He said, are you not streaming? I said, I'm streaming everything I listen to. Well, you can't take this and can't take uh, all my pictures and everything are in the cloud accessible from either. That's That's the one thing I love about the cloud technology is that it is unless you're talking iCloud. If it's only on iCloud, you you might not be able to you know get everything out of it. But I put everything where it's going to be accessible by either. 
to make it that way because they're, all the proprietary stuff just made it ridiculous. And I have a lot of people telling me that too. You got to switch to because uh, I'd say about half my kids and and uh, the grandkids that do have phones all have iPhones, but that's because they just chose iPhones and that's what they go with. But I like having I like having both technologies and using both. By the way, the first class this year to graduate with no zero COVID policy and protocol. And that was refreshing. Uh, In Texas, we kind of got out of it early, but there was none even uh, at the local university that we were at for the graduation ceremony. And so that was that was different. Great show ahead. Lots to happen over the weekend. 866-90-RED-EYE. When it comes to truck maintenance, sometimes it's the little things that can cause the most trouble, like cabin air filters. When properly serviced, cabin air filters provide a barrier between pollutants and harmful particles outside and your HVAC system. If you don't pay attention to them, however, this small part can turn into big trouble in no time. Breathe easy when you know how often to get your filters replaced. Long-haul drivers should replace their cabin air filters every 50,000 miles or according to the manufacturer's recommendations. If you operate in dusty environments, consider servicing your cabin air filters more often. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. You know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Try Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up following the bottom of uh, the hour, debt ceiling deal uh, analysis uh, coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, we will have a really interesting story about in uh, California where State Farm 
ends insurance coverage for California residents, not yep. cars, but uh, right for homes, homes and and uh, just really interesting as to uh, why we'll get to that. Uh, a Monty Python update. Mm. All right, John John Cleese in the news. Mm. Uh, a poll on Memorial Day. Coles now joins the insanity. Mm. Yeah. It's really amazing. It really, when you think about it, it's almost as if a you know, a retailer, you know, after all this happens, a retailer comes out with something that's even more radical. Yeah. And you're like, wow, there really is no self awareness. There really no, there is, isn't and, there, and it, none. It is in the minds and the mindset of the decision makers. And when you think about that approach, it's like, okay, their mindset, we're doing everything right. Everybody else has it wrong. But it's kind of like in uh, when, when McAuliffe lost the election in Virginia. And right away, I mean that evening on MSNBC, well, the problem is we're not picking candidates that are more radical than McAuliffe. Right, right. So the mindset has to be, well, look, uh, we're not we're not being radical enough. We're right. Everybody else is wrong. Who's pushing back against what we're doing? Where, where a lot of people believe that his one of his biggest problems was when he had went after parents. Right. Right. And parents like, don't have a place in the in the classroom. Right. It was like, well, no. Uh Apparently, you're not paying attention right. uh, at all. Oh, also a reparations uh, update. I mm. love this. We had talked about it last week. Now the new argument is, but if we do it, if we spend $14 trillion, or if California spends $360 trillion, yeah. <laughs> that it'll make the economy better. Yeah, we heard that from a caller one time. Yeah, and, Remember that? Yeah, now that's that's being used as a, that's why we need reparations. It will, that's what people need to understand. The economy will boom right. if we have reparations. Right. That's a big lie. <laughs> Call and join the conversation. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Very quickly, I had a great uh, weekend in uh, in Florida. The best thing was the temperature. Yeah. And yeah. It, was, it wasn't humid. And I think the maximum temperature I saw when I was in Florida was 81. Yeah, good. That's and awesome. Just, and then I came... When I got back here on Sunday night, I come out, I'm like, wow, it's the same temperature here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just love, so I mean, for a couple of days, it was just, it was perfect. I mean, yeah, it was absolutely right. perfect. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, I come back here or a couple of weeks, it's going to be 95 mm-hmm. <laughs> and going to 100 degrees. And it's mm-hmm. like, eh, you're still outside, but it's not comfortable. So it was great. And I had great, to quote Newman, jambalaya. Yeah. I had some great stuff there. All so. right there. Right. Uh, but uh, big story over the weekend, the uh, the debt ceiling deal that was reached between uh, McCarthy and uh, the, uh, the the White House. And, of course, we expected a lot of, you know, criticism uh, uh, on it. 
we had said from the very beginning, we had said back in November that you're not going to get, because you only have the House by a couple of votes and you don't have the Senate and you don't have the executive branch, that almost everything that would be done over the next couple of years is to set it up where you explain to the American people why why you are right and why they are wrong. Mm-hmm. Because you just don't have the power to do anything when you just have this the house by a couple of you know by a couple of votes. That's just the reality of what you're dealing with here. Uh, you had Republicans that had come out and said the fact that you know they're not going to vote for it because they wanted a lot more cuts from the IRS. You had others come out and said uh, Lindsey Graham, for example, it doesn't keep up. You're a point below what inflation is uh, for defense, and we're putting ourselves at, uh, at at peril. You had Democrats come out and say, uh, well, there shouldn't have been any concessions whatsoever yeah. that uh, basically Biden had a uh, <laughs> a bone-thin budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then you had other Republicans come out and say, well, we left the entire student loan program. We should have canceled that. Mm-hmm. We'll start with the first one, the student loan program. Republicans didn't need to touch that because they believe the Supreme Court will. Yeah. So they yeah. figured, why yeah. should we Why should we invest anything in that and and make it so, well, okay, you guys got that. We Well, you just leave that off the table and say, mm-hmm. fine, you can have that, knowing that the Supreme Court is going to come in and take care of that uh, 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 for you. On the, um, uh, oh, the the whole IRS thing, mm-hmm. I understand that. You know, they talk about that only $1.9 trillion was taken away, or $1.9 trillion, $1.9 billion, uh, trillion, jeez, mm. uh, was, was taken off of uh, that. Wall Street Journal pointed out those were all the enforcement that's the enforcement yeah. money. Right. Now, I don't know what that really means. Right. I mean, you're still going to be hiring a ton of IRS agents, but, you know, and so that hasn't been fully explained as to, you know, what that actually uh, uh, means. Uh, Republicans did get, uh, for example, they, oh, the other the other problem was they didn't want it to go into the, they didn't want to give Biden the opportunity to not have to discuss this before the election next year, and this takes you through the election, right? I think yeah, that's also right. the. I think that's probably the thought process of the Republicans. I could be wrong that it really doesn't matter. His numbers are so bad that if we do the right thing, we should win. Yeah, that, this that, is, and this is not going to be the football. Probably the second time, at least, it won't be the right. football that it is now. While for a lot of conservatives, it was refreshing to have a a real conversation about the national debt that probably wouldn't have the effect. Just what I gathered from reading comments over the weekend. Uh, So Biden, everything working against Biden, these major items on the table, everything that is, that is broken. That's all going to work collectively against him next year. Uh, the, uh, uh, the deal lifts the current 30.31.4 trillion dollar debt limit into 2025 while capping non-defense discretionary spending at 704 billion for fiscal 2024. That's higher than the house GOP's 
demand for a return to fiscal 2022 levels of $689 billion, though it's a significant cut from the projected 2024 baseline level of $757 billion. This is also in the deal. If the House and Senate fail to enact the 12 appropriation bills by the end of this calendar year, mm-hmm. all discretionary accounts are subject to a 1% cut. Yeah. That's a huge deal for Republicans. That is a big, very big deal. You either get this done or the cuts are right. triggered automatically. Right. The automatic sequester would apply to accounts Democrats have disguised as emergency infrastructure dollars. This is protection against a Democratic Senate that wants another year-end omnibus spending blowout. The mm-hmm. first regular order budget in years would give the House GOP leverage to win more policy victories uh, in uh, negotiations with the Senate. The deal also claws back $28 billion of previously appropriated but unspent COVID funds. The bill ends Mr. Biden's eternal pause on student loan repayments this summer, saving $5 billion a month. Republicans gave up their demand to erase Mr. Biden's $400 billion student loan forgiveness program, but the Supreme Court may soon take care of that. Because mm-hmm. that may have, you know, if if the House would have done that, that might have that would have been a deal that the Senate might not have passed. Right. At that point, and they're like, well, why should we fight this? We know what the Supreme Court's going to do. They're relatively sure what the Supreme Court's going to do with the with the student loan program. Um the Republicans griped that the bill cuts only, okay, it's $1.4 billion. I'd seen $1.9 billion earlier. Yeah, from the IRS. Only $1.4 billion from the Democrats, $80 billion increase to the Eternal Revenue Service. But that cut eliminates the entire IRS enforcement increase this year. Republicans can seek more IRS cuts next year, and Democrats may agree to rob the IRS kitty to restore money for their other priorities. Yeah. It's like yeah. they really don't. If the enforcement mechanism is gone, whatever that means, and that hasn't been fully explained to me as to mm-hmm. what that means, mm-hmm. but they're saying that may force Democrats to say, well, let's take money from the IRS agents and put it over here. Mm-hmm. That Biden may try to uh, to uh, to do that. The GOP resisted the Democratic demand for parity between defense and social welfare spending. The deal increases defense spending by roughly 3% for fiscal 2024 and to $895 billion in fiscal 2025. That is below the rate of inflation and nowhere near the level needed to meet rising global threats. The GOP will have to make the case for more defense spending in a dangerous world in the 2024 election. So it does give the Republicans an opportunity to, to you know, use defense and use the IRS money again in 2024 yeah. leading up to a presidential election. Well, that's it, because the 3% is basically what the president had budgeted on the military increase, military budget spending. And so they're looking at that, you know, a lot of conservatives saying, as you point out, it's not keeping up with inflation. And so that was a bit of a concession from the GOP. But it also allows them to go back at it uh, in something that I think most people now uh, clearly understand. And... Look, uh, you're going to need a, a national defense budget that is that is bigger and that that keeps up with the pace, at least keeps up with the pace of inflation. There's no doubt, but that right. leaves this for something, another day, basically, the fight for another day. Another thing that's been put in there, one innovation is the, and, and McCarthy was talking a lot uh, about this. In fact, let me just play this audio right here. I think he talks about it right near when he was on uh, Fox News 
uh, Sunday. Here we go. You know how non-enforceable targets work in Washington. So they say you might have gotten something for a year or two, but after that, there's nothing to it. No. First of all, watch what the government has done before. They increased it. Okay, but are they, are they trillion. not telling us the truth there? No, you have a statutory cap on there. We've got to be able to stay in the majority. Then we could have a rule to be able to keep it going forward. The, the other thing you have here, too, is for the very first time, you have administrative PACO. We had a president that spent another $1.5 trillion around Congress. That can no longer happen. So what he's talking about is uh, it's called administrative PAYGO requirement that federal agency uh, uh, offset new costs in regulations with comparable cost reductions elsewhere, mm. where if an agency is going to put in regulation that's going to cost money, they have to cut somewhere else in the administration. Mm-hmm. That is, that's actually pretty innovative. Yeah. Uh, the Government Accountability Office will flag violations, giving Congress an opening to vote down the regulation on a majority vote. Uh, Mr. Biden could veto the vote of disapproval, but the debate will elevate public understanding of regulatory uh, costs. That's more of the whole transparency uh, 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 thing. So mm. uh, the GOP negotiations also won the first statutory reforms to the National Environmental Policy Act. Since 1982, the deal sets a higher bar for projects subject to NEPA review, codifies a single lead agency on environmental reviews, and includes a one-year deadline on environmental assessments and two years to full environmental impact statements. Project applicants get the right to sue if these deadlines are missed. Far more needs to be done in fix fixing permitting, but Republicans were smart not to give Democrats easier renewable energy transmission permits without wholesale NEPA uh, reform. It's true. The Republicans, this is from the Wall Street Journal, didn't get everything in their original bill. They didn't get 10 years of enforceable spending limits or work rules for Medicaid, but divided government requires compromise as the 2011 debt limit deal showed when future spending caps were broken. No Congress combined a future Congress. Uh, and yeah. so you, we basically what you have is the spending caps for two years, and McCarthy's saying, now we got to win. Right. Right. If we don't win, then we can't. It doesn't matter if if we lose the House, those spending caps are gone anyway. So yeah. get it in for the two years. And now let's, you know, now let's um, uh, uh, win. So, um, w- look, we we come from this from after the election when uh, we had said, look, don't expect a lot. Basically, you're setting the table for 2024. It's just the reality of the way things uh, uh, work. Republicans were not going to sit there and say, if you don't cut $80 billion from the IRS, that we will, uh, you, know, uh, you know, we will just say no deal unless that's done mm-hmm. and let the Biden administration control what they cut in order to damage Republicans. Right. I'm yeah, not look. Right. I'm not. I'm. If it sounds like I'm happy with the deal, it, it, then you don't understand. You know where we're coming from because both Eric and I want a hell of a lot more cuts. Oh, yeah. Than we see right now, yeah. and this is really not going to change much of 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 anything. I actually think they got more. Again, I'm not happy with it, but I'm looking at again the situation that you're handed. Mm-hmm. Not the situation I wish to be in. I actually think McCarthy got more in some areas than I ever thought. I would have. Liked- I, yeah, it was more than I expected on on yeah. a couple of things, 
uh, you know, they're and and uh, they're they did get a little bit of a concession on uh, on federal food benefits uh, SNAP, which they're raising the work requirement age from forty nine. That's on the top end of fifty four. Uh, is that a big yeah. deal? I you know, look, I it it really is a big deal when you can take this and say, okay, we moved the ball. We've shown we can move the ball politically. That, to me, was the victory. And it's not a real victory. I I understand that. But the fact that we had a meaningful conversation about the national debt for any period of time is considered a, a victory. And that's how sad it's gotten. That's how bad it's gotten, is that nobody has had a meaningful conversation about the national debt except conservatives. Also, they got the West Virginia pipeline, the natural yeah. gas pipeline. Right. This, uh, also, we'll talk more coming up, 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. So if you look at what the deal is, the slight movement on the IRS funding, as we have seen. Mm-hmm. Slight mm-hmm. movement on, on uh, uh, you know, uh, w- work uh, for, uh, for welfare. Yeah. Just, you know, uh, slight movement there. Significant movement on camping over the, la- over the next uh, uh, couple of uh, of uh, years mm-hmm. and the administration paygo which means that if an ag- agency paygo which means if an agency puts in regulations and it costs money they've got to cut they can't go to cut you know they can't sit there and say we're going to spend more money from elsewhere right they need to cut in their own administration right those are all things that you can bring also back in 2024 you've made slight movements on it and now you can pound it more when it comes to 2024 saying we got slight concessions, but still, should we be? They're not going to win the IRS one because the public has figured out that the IRS agents are going after the middle class. Right. They're not going yeah. after the right. rich. Right. And we'll get to more of this coming up. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carney and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Just I went to the hill.com, Eric, to see if uh, anybody's done any of the analysis uh, yet with a vote coming up on... Uh, I was going to say on Wednesday, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, week's just moving very quickly when you have a three day weekend. Yeah, the committee will take it up uh, today and then uh, tomorrow right. the the vote. 
Uh, and and so I was looking to see if anybody has projected what the vote would be, whether they've done any, you know, press, now, press whipping on it. The <laughs> only thing I saw was a couple of Republicans on the Rules Committee, uh, conservative Republicans, are not going to, well, they implied they wouldn't be voting for it. So that could put it at, what did I come up with, a 7-6 on the committee vote or something like that. Um, but uh, we'll see where it goes. That's going to happen on Tuesday, later to, later today. Uh, and just reading here from thehill.com because they had a story on it about, uh, you know, uh, Biden, both McCarthy trying to sell it. Conservative Republicans and progressive Democrats have been quick to voice concerns with certain aspects of the deal and each side expressing worry that uh, their leadership gained too little or conceded too much in negotiations. Uh, White House officials and McCarthy's team spent much of Sunday working to spin the deal as a victory for their own side and assure members that it was the other party that ultimately caved on certain priorities. Quote, right now, the Democrats are very upset, McCarthy said on Fox News Sunday, asserting that House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries told him there's not one thing in the bill for Democrats. Mm -hmm. In remarks Sunday, Biden said the final agreement protects key priorities and accomplishments and values that congressional Democrats have fought long and hard for. When asked uh, what he would say to members who believe Biden made too many concessions, the president replied, uh, they'll find that I did not. Uh, the White House is focused on reassuring Democrats about the bill by pointing to ways that is significantly watered down from the Republican legislation that uh, passed late uh, the House in late April, dubbed the Limit, Save, and Grow Act. Uh, the While the new 99-page uh, uh, bill does include changes to work requirements for government-assisted uh, uh, assistant programs, White House officials said they agreed upon language would have much less severe consequences than the House GOP legislation, which, by the way, the House can use yeah. uh, next year with the yeah. Republicans in 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, the White House has also argued that overall spending agreements are ultimately a win for Democrats. A White House source argued the deal would help avert enormous cuts to key programs uh, and, uh, and and investments. Here's the problem that the Democrats have, because we talked about the Republicans. The Democrats, Biden said, there's no negotiations, clean or nothing. Right, right. And that's what they promoted for all that time. Yeah. Where McCarthy said, here's our deal, we're willing to negotiate. Yeah. Um, I mean, whether you like it or not, I'm just talking the politics of it. McCarthy said, here's our plan. We have one. We're willing to negotiate with them. And he said over and over again, in negotiation, it means we're not going to get everything that was, you know, in the uh, the, the deal. Right. And look, um, again, you've moved the ball. You got people talking about the game again. <laughs> you know, I mean... Uh, a lot of us conservatives have had almost resigned to the idea that we wouldn't be talking about the national debt politically, that it wasn't the football anymore. And it's really the only foot. It's the only football that really matters because of the, the massive threat that it poses. And that is, we are at a crucial point. This does very little to change that. You and I have talked about it. What has the GOP been successful in 
over the years in really rolling back spending. Well, I mean, they they tapped the brakes a couple of times, but they really didn't roll it back. Well, you fast forward to 2023, and it is refreshing that we actually had a meaningful conversation about the national debt. It doesn't really move the ball much, but it did move the ball. And we'll see where it goes in 24. You know, they have to keep this going. You were you were saying during a break, look, you know, this is the idea uh, is, is that uh, the GOP has to do this when they have full control of the House, Senate, and, and White House. You know, uh, you well, can't... Well, as I, as I told you in the break room, mm-hmm. I said, I just wish I would see the Republican anger when it was the Trump and Republicans passing exactly. their first spending bill. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't be, you know, a, a message to the GOP. Don't just pretend to be a fiscal conservative because a liberal is in the White House. You've got to do this and you have to be uh, vigilant about this. And this has to be your number one goal is to get spending in check because we reach that point of not being able to service the debt any, any longer. Then you're going to have someone like a Janet Yellen, let's hope it's somebody more competent in that role, saying, oh, yeah, no, we actually could default. And, and the reason is is because we don't have enough money to pay the interest on the debt. That's where the real threat is. You know, this whole bogus garbage they were throwing out in the media over, well, we, they avoided default. They avoided default. Default wasn't going to happen. Now, we've gotten ourselves into a, a, a place where you do have to raise the debt ceiling. Years ago, I said it a few times, why not just raise it right now to $100 trillion? <laughs> We're going to keep raising it. But no, this is exactly why you don't do that. That was a tongue-in-cheek moment. But this is why you don't do that, because there are times when you can get the attention. And I'm hoping that the constituents of the uh, of the GOP members of the House are also uh, paying close attention. I know, again, our our audience is uh, is is part of the conservative movement. But but by the numbers. You know, we're. We're very small. I mean, it's interesting because you look at the breakdown of the committee, uh, the rules committee, and who are they saying? Norman from South Carolina and Chip Roy of Texas uh, have said they oppose the deal, right? That committee mm-hmm. vote's going to happen later today. But the committee is made up of nine Republicans and four Democrats. Now, again, you know, because we all hate the word compromise, we do, because compromise gets you back to, to uh, most often these days, to what John McCain would do. And compromise to a John McCain is to go further left. And this all comes down to this. The people have to send the message loud and clear. Republican rank and file need to be loud about the national debt and not let up. But I can't make people care. And that's what's unfortunate here, is that I can't 
make you stand up and well, fight for something if it's not in your heart already. And the other thing is, if you don't win, it doesn't matter what yep. your what your political philosophy is. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe you can win by explaining the political philosophy and sticking to the yeah. issues that are actually important. Mm-hmm. I believe Republicans should be dominating right now, but we haven't. As conservatives, I'll say conservatives, not Republicans, mm-hmm. because I'm not a Republican either. I'm a conservative. Mm-hmm. Right. And so conservatives have to do a better job. But Republicans ha- and conservatives have to win. It doesn't matter. And the question is, and I see it on the blogs all the time, is it becoming a badge of honor for a Republican to lose and then whine about it? Right. And you see Republicans asking that on a consistent basis. And so that's the question. You want major change? Get the big wins. You're not going to get major change unless you win. Yeah. Right. You're not. And then then when you win, you're actually dedicated to being conservative. Yep. Because one of the things that's coming up here, you know, you talk about it, you know, if we had increased the, if they had done the 1.5, and who knows? I mean, this may not pass. So, I mean, (laughs) but if they had increased the 1.5, you know, trillion uh, debt ceiling for next year. Think about that. Just the interest increase alone would take the majority of that $1.5 trillion. Biden's going to be, uh, this hasn't been talked about at all. Biden may be forced to cut programs because on appropriations, Republicans now have, well, sorry, if you don't get this through, you take a 1% cut. Right. Understand that the interest on the debt alone from, what, even just two years ago, might be $600 billion higher mm-hmm. a yeah. year yeah. just in it. And they haven't made, they, they haven't made uh, arrangements uh, for that when it comes to certain programs. That'd be $1.2 trillion out of the $1.5 that they wanted to raise just in the next year. Right. And so, you know, you, and, and now I know they've set it for what, $4 trillion? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the over over a period of uh, of two years, I think that's part of the recognition that interest rates and the interest on the debts going through the roof. Yep, and there's no way to stop it. And that that the there's a great chance Biden will have to make you know they're going to have to make cuts to programs based on the two year mm-hmm. spending caps that have been put on and the and and the uh, the uh, if they don't get the appropriations done. Re- Simply, okay, fine, if you don't get the appropriations done, it's simply, and this bill would pass it, it simply means a 1% decrease. That gives Republicans tremendous, I believe, leverage over the next two years on the the big picture. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it's just a start. I mean, it's just, it's a slight nudge in the right direction, but I didn't expect, I didn't expect that the Republicans would get what they got. Yeah, and I wasn't I'm not confident. Saying, and I'm not saying I'm happy with the situation. But if you don't have the House and you don't have the Senate by a few, by more than just one vote, but mm-hmm. if you don't have the Senate by a couple of votes and you don't have the House and you don't have the executive branch, well, you have the House, but just by a couple of votes, mm-hmm. you have no choice but to compromise. Yeah. Well, this is the only leverage they had. 
And, and again, that's why the rank and file. There has to be a there has to be a greater messaging by the GOP by the party, and there has to be a greater level of concern. If if and, they and and activity by the GOP voter, if if they pound on the IRS thing, you simply then say, "Look, we moved it in the right direction, but we need the support of the American people to elect us to stop the Democrats from wanting a huge number of IRS agents because we know what they've done yep. investigating the middle class and the poor." Yep, because that's what it's about, and we've talked about it before. Democrats lied to you. Oh, oh yeah, we're yeah. having these. Um, we're having all these. Tens of thousands of more IRS agents to go after the rich. That was a lie. Yeah. They're going after unreported income, and the vast majority of that mm-hmm. is in the middle class and the lower middle class, right. economically right. speaking. Right. And they, they want that. access to every single app on your phone that has anything to do with money. So you can win all of these things more in 2024 if you explain it to the American people. But if you don't communicate effectively and win... It's all going to hell anyway. It's all gone. Yep. You may feel good. Our candidate lost, but we feel he got ripped off. Mm-hmm. Doesn't do any good. Yeah. 86690 red eye. Most owner operators leased to larger carriers are paid on a per mile basis or a percentage of revenue per load. The per mile basis is most prevalent among larger fleets. Percentage at smaller. Pay per mile tends to dominate discussions about pay just because it's easier to measure. And pay per mile often is wrongly used as the deciding factor in leasing to a carrier. While pay per mile can be a vital factor, it's not a cure for every ill. Nor does it mean a big settlement check is coming an owner-operator's way. Why? Because pay per mile always must be considered in balance with gross revenue as well as total costs. Gross revenue can include flat mileage pay, mileage pay that varies by length of haul, percentage revenue pay, and more. Most importantly, though, for every revenue dollar generated, only part of that dollar is profit. But for every extra dollar of cost saved, the entire dollar contributes to profit. Knowing and understanding your cost to operate is fundamental to understanding the true value of any pay package. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. He's Eric Harley and... You know, think about this. Uh, they need a, just uh, a majority in the the uh, the House to pass it, and they need to get to 60 votes in the Senate. You know, in order to get it, you know, they need 60 votes in order to get the 51 later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's my question. Will any Democrat in the Senate vote against it when they basically gave up <laughs> their negotiating authority to the president when the Democratic... Because it's run by the Democrats in the Senate. And Democrats said, we're not going to do anything. Give it to the president. So does this mean they're all going to vote? And so will it get that 60-vote threshold because so many Democrats will vote for it because this is actually their deal by default? Well, I mean, 
that would be the common sense thinking. (laughs) (laughs) If you wanted to apply common sense thinking. But here's the question. (laughs) I I apologize. (laughs) Remember the whole D.C. bill and the Democrats got burned by, by Biden after the fact. He turned the corner right at the last second after they made their move. And I questioned in the Senate, oh, are they not wanting to get burned and thinking, okay, just hand it to him, let him, you know, have the football here and whatever, wherever he goes, we go. You got to get to 60. I don't, I don't know where that's going to be. Uh, Mansion. <laughs> there's, there's one. <laughs> no, I think you'll probably get, I think you'll get, uh, I, I would suspect, uh, I could be wrong, I would say 50 to 70% of the Democrats in the Senate will vote for it. Yeah, look. As, it, as will Republicans. I it, think, I it, think makes, it makes sense for them if, I, I would think that if we were going to hear objections, we would have heard them by now in the Senate. Yeah. From the Democrats. I think you're you're more likely to hear the pushback that you hear on this is going to be from conservative de- uh, Republicans, right. and and we pretty much already heard that. Well, I mean, you have, uh, as we said, we got Lindsey Graham saying, "No, it's not a good deal because of the defense spending." Mm-hmm. He said, "But remember, the caps don't apply to defense spending." So he's already said, "I'm going to come up with amendment after amendment to increase spending for defense, right, based on what we need coming up." So that's right. why they. In a way, they got what they wanted because if it's a crucial defense situation, Republicans believe that they will win on it. Right. Yeah. In order to get the money that they want, whatever it's for. I mean, right. Yeah. Um, and I guess we'll see. I, uh, like you, I did not see a head count on the broader votes. Certainly didn't see one in the Senate. Uh, but uh, I think there could be. There, in the committee, uh, you have a, you, you, maybe you have a little bit of room for conservative Republicans, the two that we mentioned earlier, to make some noise and say, no, this doesn't go far enough, and still get it through committee to get to the wide vote on, on Wednesday. And we'll see if that happens. The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there... Don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. 
Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there Hi, are Hi, I'm two John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. High octane action in the dust, a new film puts Our in- staff of correspondents provide a fast-paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the Morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Looking here um, at what the, I'm trying to see what the projected budget will be because we talk about the fact that uh, in, in, in this here, that um, the projected, let me just get it, where is it here? Oh, discretionary spending, mm-hmm. uh, non-defense discretionary spending, $704 billion for fiscal 2024. What is the budget supposed to project it to be, like $5 trillion? So it, under, yeah, understand exactly. that the vast majority of spending is not covered by this bill. Understand that Social Security and Medicare is not affected by this bill, which means what? The major problems still are there. The major problems that will be driving the uh, the the deficit are still there over the next decade. They haven't gone away. And so I'm just looking forward and I just can't uh, just I did it right when we were coming on the air here, try to find out what the actual uh, budget is here for 2023. Uh, okay. Federal outlays for 2023, $6.2 trillion. Boy, I was off on that one. According to the Congressional Budget Office. Wow. CBO projects a federal budget deficit of $1.4 trillion for 2023. Which uh, ends in October. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Uh, federal outlays, they, they uh, suspect $6.2 trillion. So when you're talking about this bill and what it does, understand that you're talking about an extremely small portion. You're not really, in, you're not including in there defense. Social Security, Medicare. Yeah. Yeah. Or interest on the debt, because you can't you can't negotiate interest on the debt. So you're talking about another eight over eight hundred uh billion dollars for defense, 
probably, I'm not sure what eventually it's supposed to be, maybe 700 to 800 billion dollars in interest where it was 250 billion just a couple of years ago but that's what high interest rates do mm-hmm. and then whatever social security and medicare are to the budget that's also involved that's also in there right and that makes up so the if if we're at 6.2 trillion they expect for 2023 according to the CBO that increase has to be because that's not what it was projected to be earlier. That has to be the interest. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, one source that says the budget total is $5.8 trillion for fiscal 2023, including $1.6 trillion in discretionary spending. Yeah, I'm seeing that the total outlays expected by right. the CBO, right. which are different. Right, yes. That's uh, not they're, the budget. Right, they're yeah. different. that's not the budget. So. The, the expected outlays are still 6.2 trillion. Is that extra, the interest, that they don't include in it? Why would you have a difference at that point? Yeah, because you, you're talking right. about uh, $400 billion? Yeah. Yeesh. Could and, be. And so if you talk about, if the federal outlays are $6.2 trillion, and they say, okay, we're going to have it at seven you know, roughly $700 uh, uh, billion is where we're going to stay at discretionary spending. That means that $5.5 trillion of the budget is not included in this deal whatsoever. So you're talking about less than 20% of the budget, which is being negotiated here. And as we know, as we've said before, the biggest problem. And I think that when the, look, I think that when this comes out, look, if you're conservative and you understand what the budget is, you realize, you know, how this is just, you know, this is just a ripple. Yeah. It, it, it really is. But it's a ripple in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But when you see the massive problem that exists today, the massive problem, understand that the majority of Americans, including the majority of Republicans and Democrats polled believe we can come to a balanced budget by getting rid of foreign aid and wasteful spending. Right. With all due respect to those Republicans that believe that, stop being delusional like the Democrats, because that's pure delusion. And over half of Republicans believe that we can balance the budget by doing that. You can't. Let's not accuse the Democrats of having math with feelings when apparently we're doing the same. Yeah. And so that's the, I think that's important to point out that on this, because people think it's the entire budget. They don't know. I don't know. 700 700 billion sure sounds like they're the budget to me. No. No, not at all. Wow. Wow. The outlays this year expected to be six point two trillion. This covers seven hundred billion of it. Not even one sixth. Well, we're on fifteen percent of the budget, and the massive amount uh, would be, you know, really. I mean, because even if even if you include defense in there of eight hundred billion, if you include that in the deal, mm-hmm. because they they did have it in the deal, you're up to one point five trillion. The rest. Social Security and Medicare. 
Well, and there is a a May update here from CBO says now that the outlays could be as high as six point three four. Yeah, because I'm looking at February. This is February fifteenth. Yeah, the this CBO. is so. This is the update wow. from May. Wow, uh, May twelfth. Outlays now projected to be six point three four four trillion dollars. And nobody's talking about as we have. That if, you know, for the next two years and Republicans have the ability to actually make it so the appropriations bills could actually be, if they don't get what they want from the Democrats, hmm. could be cut 1%, one percent yeah. over the next couple of years. Right. My point would be with the, and nobody has brought this up, with the, not that I've heard at least, or not that I've read in any financial publication, hmm. what cuts might Biden have to put in? What cuts will the government have to put in, even if there's no cuts, just because the interest on the debt is eating up eating up so much? Well, it's interesting in the outlays and the breakdown for 23 in this updated May report, May 12th report from the CBO. That the net interest, I got to get the math on that. The net interest, $663 billion. The net interest, again, I want to see what qualifies this net. How do you define right. net interest? Uh, the total on outlays on budget, $5.1 trillion. Off budget, $1.2 trillion. Off budget. <laughs> Off budget. Money you don't have. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would love to see the breakdown on on all of that. It it it's frightening when you read through the CB CBO report. It really it 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 just makes my entire body hurt. It's painful. To look at. Yeah, when you actually know the, you know, it's an important to understand, you know, because I'm reading here the president's budget 2023, the, the budget total 5.8 trillion. Mm-hmm. That was the, the, the budget, mm-hmm. uh, including 1.6 trillion in discretionary spending. So that would be, that would be both, that would include the discretionary spending plus, plus um, defense. Right. Yeah. So they were able to back off on that a little bit. Hmm. And that's where it was supposed to be $757 uh, billion in discretionary spending would be, what, 707 hmm. So $50 billion there. On defense, I don't know what the defense numbers were for 2023 compared to what actually they will, will spend based on this, uh, you know, if, if this passes mm-hmm. for 2023, whether that will cut back or not this year or whether that will be next year. Well, the cutbacks actually, I mean, it will increase actual dollar value, Mm. but it's not keeping up with inflation. That's the problem. Yeah. See, that's the other problem. Inflation. You know, and that's the, the, that's the twofer because it's, it's uh, inflation, which means everything costs more to buy Mm -hmm. and you've got interest on the debt. Yeah. And that costs more to buy. It costs more, to borrow. Yeah. 
or to service the debt, I mean, basically, including new debt. So even though this is a nudge in the right direction, we're still doomed. Oh, we're still far this, underwater. This, this doesn't yeah. take us away from... No, we're far underwater. ...dumation. No, not even close. No. No. And that's not going to happen until the American public actually really feels it. Well, and that's that's it. I mean, until the, the pain is inflicted, but it will be so it will be far too late by then. Yeah, you're right. It will be. Yep. And the, the, it will be we should have done something. Yeah. But, but you're when, right. We should have. When will the point be? Uh I like to see a budget analyst say, okay, when will because we're we're keeping the, the spending down for the next couple of years, mm-hmm. how will that affect programs because of the projection of increase in the interest on the debt? There's no way it doesn't have an effect. Uh, except for when you get into, in the private market, in the private sector, what they would call negative equity, <laughs> where you're just going to borrow to pay the interest. Or print more money. You just, that's it. You, you just, you, you print more money. So we've been doing. Yeah. We've been printing money to buy our own debt. Right. Now we'll be printing money to buy our own interest on the debt. <laughs> that's how stupid this thing has gotten. That's how stupid it's gotten. You're now taking one credit card to pay the interest on the other credit card. And that will be the next move. You know, they it, deficit spending. They came up with a name for it. Like in the private sector, you have negative equity. You're underwater. You're drowning in debt. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Quickly to Josh in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, Josh, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Hi. Hey, good evening, guys. Hey, hey um, they have to, by law, pass the budget by June 30th, so it takes effect October 1st. That's why our that's why our calendar years are set up the same way. I know they're arguing over the debt limit on this, but they still haven't even battled out the budget issues. I know they're, you know, in terms of the cap salary, yeah. but um, we, we seem to do this every year and a half. And um, they, you know, they've been doing these CRs, especially in the Obama administration. They would just patch on to the previous budget, and we went up what ten trillion over the eight years Obama was in office. And because of they didn't want to get pinned in on the budget, and we're doing it again. Well, Instead the only the only the thing. Line. Well, the only thing is uh, you're you're talking about basically what the twelve appropriation bills are, correct? Yes. Right. Well, the the Republicans, you know. the Republicans, as we mentioned earlier, 
in this. If they don't come to an agreement by the date, Republicans got this in the budget, then if if they cannot come to a deal, then it's uh, 1% less than last year on all the appropriate the all the 12 appropriation deals right um i understand that but in terms of with how the budgeting the zero-based budgeting government does it's you know really just a reduce a reduction in the increase on that now if democrats were so they've been beating their chest about how they're not going to do this why don't they take care of it a year and a half ago I don't know if that's the case. What you said, that it's minus 1% above what was naturally appropriated. They can do whatever they want. It doesn't. I don't know anything that's naturally appropriated more. And if it is, whatever program it is, you know, they can take that out. Mm. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. Good morning. He's Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. So looking at this here. While Americans consistently rank Christmas as the most important holiday, followed by Independence Day, the importance of Memorial Day is rated higher than ever. Well, ever since Rasmussen started taking the poll. When yeah. Did they, yeah. When did they start taking the poll? They don't say in the article. Hmm. Well, that's key. If it started five years ago with that's Rasmussen. That's not ever. Yeah, Rasmussen wasn't around 40 years ago or 50 years ago or 60 years ago taking these polls, were they? I don't remember them being around. While Americans consistently rank Christmas as the, the top, the highest ratings for Memorial Day. But any movement in the in the right direction is good, though. Yeah. Uh, more than half of Americans, 51%, consider Memorial Day uh, as one of the nation's most important holidays. That percentage is up from 47% last year, the highest percentage recorded since Rasmussen began asking about Memorial Day. 37% of those polled say Memorial Day is somewhere in between. A small 7% uh, say that it is the one of the nation's least important holidays, and of course that would be the Anchors on MSNBC and the <laughs> Democrat squad. So, yeah. <clears throat> uh, or they surveyed uh, American adults between May 16th and 18th with a 3% margin of error and a 95% confidence level of those respondents. 18% reported having served in the U.S. military, while 80% have not. 40% of the respondents said that they have close friends or relatives who gave up their lives while serving in the uh, military. Memorial Day has a greater importance to Americans who have served in the military, 79% of whom rated as one of our nation's most important holidays, compared to 47% who have not been in the military, according to the 
poll report. So there you go. Still trying to find out how long that poll went back. And mm-hmm. When you say in a poll the most ever, then you need to go back and say, well, ever is when we started taking the poll 12 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I saw over the weekend, uh, Dermot will testify before the House in June. That is uh, good news. Uh, we knew that it would be soon. I'm guessing John Durham has some fishing to be done. And not like Mueller's fishing expedition. Eh. It will be an actual fishing expedition. <laughs> Look, uh, just reading, I saw here Greg Jarrett's column in Fox News. Durham report shows Biden and Obama knew the truth of Trump collusion hoax but kept silent. It's something we've said for the longest time because mm-hmm. this information has been out there for the longest time that the Obama administration was briefed by John Brennan right. uh, on um, uh, when in for on what Hillary Clinton's plan was mm-hmm. in uh, July of uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. So we all knew it happened, but Durham verified it in the report. Uh, he's and he writes here: a silence kept in order to hide the truth is a lie. By that maxim, there are plenty of liars among prominent Democrats who knew that the damning Trump Russia collusion narrative was all a hoax, but they chose to remain mum preferring instead to watch contently as an American president was vilified nonstop by a media-driven orgy of lies. We have to use that more often. Yeah. Not just lies. It's an orgy of lies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, 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 go, go right ahead. It, it, <laughs> it consumed the nation for years and inflicted untold harm. None of them had the decency to volunteer the truth. That's one of the key findings Mm. in the Durham report that the uh, special counsel filled to the brim of documented acts of deviousness, (laughs) dishonesty, and malice by high officials in government who were supposed to trust uh, but should not. In July 2016, CIA Director John Brennan rushed to the White House to brief then-President Barack Obama and Joe Biden about alarming new evidence uncovered by American intelligence The agency had obtained reliable information that Hillary Clinton had approved a campaign plan to stir up a scandal against Donald Trump by tying him to Putin and the Russians. It was an outrageous and wholly invented accusation, unsupported by anything except Hillary's craven imagination. Her shrewd goal was to frame her opponent for unidentified crimes that he never committed and thereby damage or sink his candidacy. And note that with the dossier... And with the entire Sussman lie uh, about Alpha Bank, those were the two enterprises she created. Mm-hmm. So actually, she fulfilled, you know, she hadn't yet fulfilled in July of 2016 and then went on to do all of this, you know, at at that time. And when she was doing all of this, uh, understand that, and I always wonder, whether Comey got information, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, because he was also told about Hillary was doing all of this. If that's why he eventually came out and said we have to look at Hillary again, I've always wondered that because he would look by su- like such a partisan if he did not. At least go through the motions. At least go through the motions, right? I always have wondered that if that's why he did that. No, I think that's a pretty right. strong. Yep. question of of a theory 
As Durham noted, the despicable smear had the dual benefit of distracting from her own nagging email scandal that was dragging down her poll numbers. Mm. Given its potency, the Clinton canard ranks as the dirtiest trick ever perpetuated in American politics. So that's taking it directly from Red Eye. We've said this for the longest time. Yeah. Obama right. and Biden knew all about Hillary's treachery, and so did others in the orbit who were secretly briefed, including Attorney General Loretta Lynch, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, and FBI Director James Comey. This is proven by Brennan's handwriting notes, hand, excuse me, handwritten notes for the next three years, all of them remained silent about the CIA's findings. Collectively, they concealed the truth of Trump's innocence as he was hounded by the constant condemnation of conspiring with Moscow, even though he did no such thing. On almost a daily basis, the media pronounced him guilty in the the court of public opinion. Brennan and Clapper took to the airwaves and dishonestly denounced Trump as a Russian asset Hiding what they knew, Brennan lied repeatedly to the American people on TV, and he's the one that went to everybody and said Hillary's trying to set up Trump. Yeah. And then he goes through all the specifics of the different, uh, you know, uh, enterprises as we have uh, before. The vainglorious James Comey, who refused to cooperate with the Durham investigation, now publicly claims to be suffering near total amnesia. No. It is a curious affliction since the special counsel's report reveals that he demanded and received daily briefings whenever agents working the case had the... uh, Whenever agents working the case complained that there was no real evidence implicating Trump in any wrongdoing... Comey stuck wads of cotton in his ear. He pushed a relentless witch hunt into a maniacal quest to destroy the man he loathed so obsessively. So there you go. And he goes through just everything there. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, the American public knows it now. We saw the majority of the American public understands that uh, Trump was set up by the Hillary campaign. So the public public knows. And by the way, why is Hillary speaking? It seems like. She's decided to come out like because now she's criticizing Biden for his age a couple of times over the last week. And I'm like, is she, mm-hmm. is she actually thinking of running? Does she have no self-awareness of what the American public well, knows about her? I have to think that every player or would-be player on the left right now is waiting to pounce. How could you not be? I mean, if they were asking me advice on political strategy... What should I be doing? Well, you don't want to go as far as getting in the race and challenging him. I mean, uh, RFK Jr. Uh, is probably the strongest at that point coming out with 11 points from the get-go. But you're not going to do that if you're Newsom or Hillary. So what are you going to do? Well, for her, she's gone further. She's gone on that on that item. She's gone as far as uh, as an RFK or anyone else that's officially challenging uh, the president. So it's not that she's just floating her own ideas. Well, what we need to do is this. What we need to do is that. She's come out on the age thing. 
And that is, I think that is notable. I think that tells me that she's waiting to pounce along with Gavin Newsom. That they don't believe he's going to make it to the end of this year without having to step down for health reasons. And I don't know what they know. So there's no telling. There's a good question. What do the actual insiders know about the, the current health status of this president? How does it help Hillary at all to say those things? What would be the motivation for doing it? You don't gain anything, do she, you? She, except she people pay attention to her? Except, well, I don't know about that. She can say a lot of things. By the way, you mentioned the word nagging earlier. When it comes to Hillary, I got a whole book. So, so what does it do? Well, I think, now, again, I'm not trying to think here like a, you know, with any type of critical thinking, because I'm talking about Hillary right. and the Democrats. Right. But could it be that Democrats view, like Democrats now know, that she set up Trump, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it was the biggest, pl- and I agree, but we said it before, uh, you know, anybody else did, mm. if it's the biggest dirt, political dirty trick in American history. Yeah. Nothing comes close to what Hillary did, that she views it and Democrats view it as a badge of honor. Yeah. And so she feels that it's time for her to come out and promote things because, again, this is like she's been given an award. It's not like she feels shameful that she committed this. There's pride that she got everybody to go along with her. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she got out of the email scandal and Trump is you know, still facing possible indictments and she created the biggest political dirty trick in American history. She broke the law with her server doing the most outrageous thing that a secretary of state has ever done. Yeah. And she skated completely clear and she's just like, I'm bulletproof. I'm untouchable. I've received the greatest honor, the recognition that I am the one. Now I didn't beat Trump, but I screwed up his presidency big time. And so Democrats look at me as if I've, won this great award no i think that logic fits her logic that's her logic that okay it didn't didn't work for my own personal benefit but ultimately i got the train derailed right yeah and so she's viewed as sort of a liberal saint for doing what she did Mm -hmm. democrats aren't angry with her Mm -hmm. for committing that political dirty trick right they're happy that she did it, and right. therefore she feels, okay, now I'm much more accepted when I'm out. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised she could be doing an interview where they bring up, hey, you really set up Trump, didn't you? And everybody applauds, and she goes, I certainly did. Yeah. Yep. That all the lies and all the enterprises to create the lies and and create a lie that gets a, you know, a, a, a false, you know, a bogus FISA warrants that Democrats would view that as a great victory 
and something that should be followed. Hey, if she can get away with it, you should get away with it too. Right. Eight six six ninety red eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. 86690 uh red eye uh if you'd like to get in on the uh, uh show um just reading here the I'm reading the, the Babylon B because I happen to see just just a post out there somebody just wrote mm. the Dodgers to lure back Catholics by honoring Joe Biden <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't the Babylon B and it made me think it made me think oh I wonder what the Babylon B is writing but I saw that one I'm just like and then somebody wrote I remember this is Joe Biden talking as he's being honored in order to bring this is not really the truth, folks, just so you know. Yeah. Um, but but <laughs> this is Joe Biden speaking, uh, being honored by the Dodgers and hoping to lure back Catholics. Quote, I remember pitching a no hitter and striking out corn pop three times in one game. <laughs> my dad, my dad used to tell me, Joey, just remember, sometimes you're the ball and sometimes you're the bat. <laughs> That was in Scranton. My favorite ice cream was chocolate back then. Do they have ice cream here? <laughs> <laughs> I would have I would have believed at least a little league story about striking out another kid named Corn Pop much easier than I uh, would have believed the whole corn pop story. That is the other corn pop story. It's <laughs> it's it's just ridiculous. It really is. Um, I like these other. Uh, th- these are the subscriber headlines. These are people that actually write to the Babylon Bee. Yeah, which is really yeah, great. Yeah, Chicago judge rules that hating crime is a hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Dad threatens to wear fanny pack on family vacation if children don't behave. (laughs) Wife tells new husband all future conversations will be recorded for quality and training purposes. (laughs) What I love about it is, you know, none of them except the Chicago judge is really is current event related. Right. Yeah. (laughs) New productivity app just turns your phone off. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god that's great oh <laughs> i like that funny stuff i'm not quote here's the headline i'm not sanctimonious and i don't look like a meatball whispers ron DeSantis, crying self to sleep at night <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> and then then trump Florida is a mismanaged hellhole, and only an idiot would live there, says Trump. <laughs> says Trump, who lives there. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> Archaeologists uncover Target store runes from Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wow. A deal reached on debt ceiling as McCarthy offers Biden two pints of chocolate chip ice cream. <laughs> yeah, that one I did see, yeah. That's funny. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> Ooh, ice cream. Oh. Yeah. Funny stuff. Yeah. You know, I look, I think that, that there are so many things that are wide open right now. And and I I have to believe that the Democrats on the inside, a number of them feel like the race is still wide open, that there's a decent chance Biden would have to step down. And my gosh, the thing is, is that you get into January, February, if he's not stepped down by then and then. Can you imagine if he doesn't make it to the summer and has to step down in the summer of 24, just days before their convention? And and Cuomo isn't an option this time around. Threat to democracy if you don't download our app, Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. So just uh, reading here, uh, Heritage Foundation economist E.J. Antony uh, told Breitbart News on Saturday that stopping government spending would unleash the American economy and rein in inflation. This is after they, you know, they they was responding to the the deal being done uh, by uh, McCarthy and the the president. He says. Hmm. Uh, he further elaborated, and this is something that we have said before. I'm reading this because it mirrors exactly what we have said. <laughs> Otherwise, why would I bother reading it? Who cares? Who cares about other opinions? Uh, he further elaborated that most Congress spending simply drives rate hikes. It is government spending, borrowing, and the printing of money that has caused almost all of the ills that we are currently facing, at least from an economic standpoint. As we've stated before, the economy that the the economy that people view the vast majority as being bad in this country right now is because of inflation. It's because who we have voted for. Yeah. To be very simple, that's what it's about. Not you, maybe not me, but the majority of the American public have voted for the economic situation that we're in today. Yep. Uh, if you stop the borrowing, he wrote, or he said. At this point, then you stop the spending because we're up against that limit. And that takes a tremendous amount of pressure off the Federal Reserve because as long as Congress continues the spending and borrowing spree, they are working at cross purposes at the Federal Reserve that is trying to raise rates to rein exactly all of that in. The more Congress spends and borrows, the further and faster the Fed needs to keep up with those rate hikes. Exactly what we have said. Mm-hmm. One part of the government is fighting with the other part of the government. Yeah. Now, both parts of the gov- of that government were causing the inflation back when. One part of the government, the Federal Reserve, has said, okay, we need to back off on it, while the Democrats in Congress still want to spend Tons and tons and tons of more money. 
trillions of dollars of more money. And it's, again, it is a choice. I mean, we're, uh, until, I started thinking about it over the weekend when the deal hit, and it's interesting because before we left last week, we were floating the idea, and I said, well, wouldn't surprise me if on Saturday we learned that they've come to a deal, and then late Saturday that broke, and then Sunday the details were coming out. Um, But it's, again, that's the predictable nature of such things. And I started thinking about it. What would it be if we didn't have the debt? If we didn't have the national debt? Can you imagine? If we had fiscal responsibility as a nation, the the wealth that would be created. Now, again, it's basically the question is, what would it be like if the majority, overwhelming majority of American people screamed to no end until we solve the debt crisis? Now, that's a fairy tale. But you imagine the effect on an economy, a nation with no debt a nation that is fiscally responsible, a nation that this is the problem that we have because all of the agenda items go to a point to a much greater debt on energy. You want to break the back of the natural gas and oil industry. You want to do that because that's really what brings about the expansion of wealth. Energy brings energy uh, production brings about an expansion in wealth every single time. Well, we can't have that. So what do you do? Well, you break that industry. You break anything where there is innovation. You go after it. You regulate it to no end to the point of, okay, you can't have a gas stove anymore. You can't uh, buy a new gas-powered vehicle after 2035. You can't do this. No uh no natural gas in buildings. It's only going to be electric. We're going to do all of this and pretend like we can get it done with solar and wind. Well, they know we can't get it done with solar and wind, but the objective is not to get onto solar and wind. It's to break the back of the 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 oil and gas industry. This is exactly what you try and do. And once you do that, you bring about more government spending because, well, There's going to be emergencies, which means if we're in crisis mode, constant crisis mode, which we would be in, then it would be no end to spending. And you won't won't have any kind of wealth. It'll be depleted. Your retirement account will dwindle down to nothing because the markets will crash. If we ever get to a point of, of actually defaulting, Getting to the point where we cannot service the interest on the debt, we are doomed. Or the fact that we can't raise the budget enough to cover the interest on the debt, which continues to go up, and therefore you're going to have massive cuts and the public will be up in an uproar. Right. Yeah. Because as we have stated, the vast majority of the budget is not under the cap restraints 
only seven hundred billion is right right now, and as we said, this planned spending for this year is six point two or now update as you said what the outlays will be six point three mm-hmm. trillion dollars. Well, as you can see, well, you're talking about fifteen percent of the budget. All this hype and hoopla. There are many people that believe it's the entire budget. It's not. No. No. You know, you talk about what's you know going on, and you know, you know, when we look at the you know the uh, the problems that government has caused. Uh, editorial. You just reminded me of this one because you talked about uh, electric. You talked about electric vehicles and gasoline vehicles. Uh, Wall Street Journal had this over the weekend. If you like your Jeep. You soon won't be able to buy one thanks to California's EV mandates. California's ban on new gas-powered cars doesn't take effect till 2035, but its harmful effects are already appearing. Uh, Chrysler uh, 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 plans to reduce shipments of gas-powered cars to states that have adopted California's emission rules. They don't have any right? choice. They recently warned that auto dealers that we have we may be compelled to allocate fewer conventional gasoline vehicle engines to California states, including New York, Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Washington, Oregon, New Jersey, Maryland, Colorado, Minnesota, Nevada, Virginia, and New Mexico. In some circumstances, we may be compelled to allocate more electrified powertrain vehicles to California states to complete or to, excuse me, to comply with the more stringent standards being enforced in those California states, the Chrysler memo right, or says a Delaware dealer told the Delaware Business Times that Chrysler said he won't receive regular shipments of popular Jeep gasoline-powered vehicles because his state, this is now. No, this be- is now, yeah. Because his state has adopted California emission standards, but Chrysler will make available an electric SUV model that are $20,000 more expensive. Mm-hmm. California last year required that electric vehicles make up 35% of automaker sales by 2026, 68% in 2030, and 100% by 2035. EVs made up 19% of California's uh, sales last year, but two-thirds or so were Teslas. Automakers that fall short of California's benchmark will have to buy regulatory credits from Tesla and other EV makers because federal and state subsidies totaling up to $15,000 haven't persuaded enough consumers to buy EVs. Chrysler plans to reduce its gas-powered options. As other automakers follow, the invariable result will be shortages of gas-powered cars and higher prices in California and copycat states. Americans could still buy gas-powered cars in other states until they disappear everywhere because of the Biden administration's de facto EV mandate. Speaking of which, California last week officially asked the administration's permission to impose its EV mandate. The administration denies plans to ban gas-powered uh, cars, so it should reject California's mm. uh, request. Car makers, home builders, and electric uh, utility companies sent a letter to President Biden last week warning that a shortage of electrical uh, steel uh, owing to increased demand from the Inflation Reduction Act and infrastructure bill is threatening the administration's electrification goals. They want Washington to subsidize domestic manufacturers of electrical steel. Subsidies tend to beget more subsidies, 
when it make more sense for the government to let Americans buy the cars and appliances that they want. Mm -hmm. By the way, to do all the things that they want with solar and wind, you still can't run an economy. No. You could increase it by 10 times. You still can't run an economy on it. No, you can't. And it will become such a hardship for people. Uh, you're not going to be able to afford an EV. Most people no. will not be able to uh, afford an EV. And so what do you do? Well, you start then. Uh, and, and this is what will happen, too. All right. Well, I'll go to the states. Uh, I'll go to another state to buy my new gas-powered vehicle. All right. But when you want to register it in your home home state of, let's say California, then that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. They're out to break the economy and break the backs of the American people, and break the grid, and break the grid, and that way, eventually, they can get to what they've always wanted, and that's to nationalize energy. The polling shows Americans understand that you can't run the grid on solar and wind, no, and they're still can't. pushing for it. Right. I did see an article over the weekend. Well, you know, this means a resurgence for nuclear. Where? Where? Who's pushing that? Yeah. Where's the buzz yeah. on that? I mean, we know that that people have mentioned it, but that's not the trend. No. Not the trend at all. Uh, the NIMBY effect. Right. Well, they're safer. Yeah, right. Put them in your backyard then. Mm-hmm. And for one or two OEMs that are looking into hydrogen, yeah, keep looking in that direction because there's another one. Can you imagine being able to uh, power a vehicle with hydrogen if they really got the, the formula down? Well, the federal government gets nothing. Oh, my gosh. Well, now you're in. Now you're in trouble, in big trouble. If that were to become a trend, which it hasn't been, you only have one or two OEMs that are looking into that, that are right now moving in that direction. Cost, cost, cost. Yep. So it's always but, going to be but I think, about affordability. But I think one of the things Democrats are up to, they want to make cars unaffordable yeah. so people will be forced to take public transportation. They don't want people in vehicles. No, that's the that's the effect. That's the, the, the first effect before they get to nationalizing energy is going yeah. to be pushing everybody onto public transportation. Now, that's not going to work in rural areas, of course. Remember what the Obama transportation secretary said, mm-hmm. what his Ray job was. Yeah, he said, uh, we want to get you out of, we want to get you out of those cumbersome vehicles. We want to coerce you mm-hmm. yep. out of your vehicle. Yep. That was during the Obama goal. administration. We're not making this stuff up. They've said it publicly. Right. This is, this is their goal. 86690-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up on the top of uh, the uh, hour, there it is. Kohl's faces shopper uproar after becoming latest retailer to market LGBTQ clothing to children. Wow, just amazing. Yeah. Uh, the times that we're in uh, uh, right now. And also the story that you and I found really fascinating. State Farm to stop selling new policies in California. 
Yeah, uh, very interesting. Basically, they're saying that the state is doing nothing to uh, thin their forests and to mitigate the fire uh, risk there in that state. And so when they're having to over and over again pay out on policies when there is, it's it, I wouldn't call it a fix, but there is at least a remedy in terms of mitigation in this in, in this scenario that 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 the state is doing uh something that is both reasonable and responsible and they feel like that it's just inevitable that you're going to have a great deal of fires that are going to burn structures homes in this case and writing those policies is is a loss in that state because there is nothing being done by the lawmakers or the the uh governor's office and they're not even close to even having that discussion. They're not. No, no, they're not. And, they're and time and time again, we see yeah. it happen. It's not that thinning the forest would prevent the fire, but it certainly would mitigate it. It would limit the damage, limit the risk. I wonder how many more homeowner uh, insurance policies or companies will get out of the game in California for the same reason. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. Here's a headline for you. Black Lives Matter co-founder loses multi-platform Warner Brothers deal after delivering, after delivering no content on contract. In October of 2020... Uh, Black Lives Matter co-founder and former leader Patrice Cullors signed a multi-year contract with Warner Brothers Television Group to create content for the entertainment giant, but the studio quietly ended that relationship last year with no material produced, reports the New York Post. On Friday, a source familiar with the situation told the outlet the studio signed an overall deal with BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors at some point in 2020 but the deal expired at the end of October uh, 2022. Mm. The deal, unfortunately, did not result in any produce shows. The agreement was a multi-year, multi-platform deal in which Colors would produce original material, including scripted comedies and dramas. How about the story of the financial ruin of Black Lives Matter? That would yeah. be a heck of a... yeah. Television special? Yeah. Colors would produce a series of uh, original material, including scripted comedies and dramas, animated shows, and documentary series, which would focus on black stories. The content would go out on the distributor's broadcast, cable, and streaming platforms. We had talked about this in 2020. 
Mm-hmm. Previously, Culler said in an interview that she was working on material for Warner Brothers, including documentaries focused on reparations and social mobility of black Americans, as well as a scripted program on marijuana. Mm. But none of that is happening, to nobody's surprise. Reading here from also from the uh, New York Post to uh, uh, Adam Coleman's uh, uh, piece, opinion piece, uh, BLM's financial fall proves it only used dead black people to cash in. Mm. Well, look, we told you they were taking advantage of a they, they you know helped to uh, take advantage and keep going a lie about the nation's police departments that sports leagues and major corporations fell in line with, and it was based on a lie. When you base your entire existence on a lie, it's eventually you're eventually going to go down. But when you when you base your entire organization on a lie in order to become financially wealthy and not solve any problems, that's even worse. In April of last year, Colors said that 990 tax forms required for charities were triggering. I would imagine if you're not a real charity, it would be triggering. You would fear that you're going to be taxed or enforcement is going to come at your door. Uh, this uh, piece here by Adam Coleman, the National Black Lives Matter organization got its golden ticket off the corpses of black people and leveraged their unfortunate deaths against the emotional turmoil of a nation for profit. Instead of coming upon a random sequence of lucky numbers, it found the names of unlucky black people who died in a random sequence of events, and they cashed in. And just like many lottery winners... Its leaders squandered their millions by enriching themselves, friends, and family. Yep. Um, Look, these development deals happen all the time uh, with actual entertainers. I'm wondering what the take on the how much she was paid for the development deal. If any. I mean, sometimes it could be a million, million and a half just for a development deal. Stand-up comedians get development deals all the time with networks or used to. I wonder what she was paid just for the development deal, even if mm-hmm. even if it never happens, if nothing comes of it, you get that money. Basically, it's that particular studio saying this is what we want and we want you exclusive you can't go anywhere else and make content anywhere else if you make it you make it for us during the terms of this contract exactly yeah well you can't don't say we didn't tell you while we were taking flap for criticizing black lives matter Mm -hmm. in 2020 Mm mm-hmm Again, we were right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's why when you look at the sports leagues and uh, the major corporations that got in line with Black Lives Matter, uh, that was our point. We're not rocket scientists, but we know what the truth is and we know what a lie is in that. And Black Lives Matter decided to take advantage 
of an emotional lie that nobody, well, there were some. There was conservative talk radio. There was Heather McDonald. There were others that said, no, the stats don't at all. You, you can't. You can't make that you can't make that statement that all police departments are systemically racist to kill blacks. Yeah, you know, can't can't make that argument. There's no evidence to back that up. And we went through the numbers and the tens of millions of automobile stops a year, but between 26 and 30 million. Yep. And what was it? 275 million. 911 calls a year mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and tens of millions of other police interactions that aren't automobile related. Right. And when it comes down to every single year, we normally have three or four incidents where you're not sure what happened in that case. And then the racist will, the race baiters will jump aboard and claim it's something without knowing what the truth is. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that when she was found to be enriching herself, Colors stepped down and said she was leaving Black Lives Matter to work on her book and TV deals. So think about what, what that is. I'm stepping down in the wake of the backlash for enriching myself to go further enrich myself. <laughs> And, of course, now we learn officially that that didn't work out either. But I'd like to know if there was any money paid for. The, there has to be. Yeah, any development deal, you get some kind of cash. You get something. Right. Even half a million. You know, we look back at so many things from the last couple of years, and you just wonder, you know, when the American people will finally say, and maybe they are when you see – you know, the fact that on the major news stories of the day that the media isn't covering or they cover in a huge spin way that the American public still knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the difference. Right. Maybe the fact is people have gone to their own sources. Mm-hmm. But you think about all the things and think about that in 2020 and 2021, the, the as we call it, the uh, liberal blue wave tsunami. Mm-hmm. That you either agree with this or will destroy your life, right? And you're still seeing it, especially in the in the uh, liberal, liberal, radical transgender activist movement. Mm-hmm. Saw it again the other day. Somebody came out. Another woman came out and said, "This is ridiculous," and they just pounded on her. Oh yeah, you know your yeah. your uh, transphobia. This and I just sat there, and as we always said, if you want to do the name calling, we'll do the name calling. You're a bunch of misogynist, sexist, femophobes. Mm-hmm. Call me that name. Call me what you, I'll call you my names, you call me your names, and then we'll actually get down to discussing the issue. No, we can't discuss the issue because the discussion of the issue means that is is transphobic to begin with. Yeah. No questions may be asked. Talking about it is violence. Right. And that's what you're dealing with in the American public. You know, we know where they stand on it. But if I don't talk about it, silence is also violence. Exactly. (laughs) Everything is violence. Yeah, no, it's not. No, you're a child, and you can't win on the issues. So you're screaming, knowing you're not going to win ultimately. You know, and, you know, so when when I see this, it's like, you know, good. I'm glad this is going. And remember, the first states to back away 
remember the or the AGs were looking at it were liberal states mm-hmm. where they went, oh my God, did we get conned by this group? Right. No, I mean the fallout when it started to happen, it was dominoes. Yeah, it really was. I mean, the NBA didn't go but one season, and the commissioner at the end of that season, well, next season they won't have it. And, and think about what he was saying at the time. He was promising, I don't know, the teams, uh, the season ticket holders or anybody else. He's trying to rebuild the following for his league. And, <laughs> you know, I I think, I guess they did that. I have no idea. I haven't looked at the numbers, but I'm. I guess they did that, but they were, that was part of that domino effect, which was happening in a big way at that time. I mean, she stepped down two years ago. Yeah, we're not sure in uh, in Dallas here because all the booing was performance related here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, you're just going to get. That's what you're going to get. No, we were critical of the members of, especially the owners that were that kept quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, those owners yeah. that said, "Well, we defend the players." What? Defend the players? You, you how? When when LeBron James in Wisconsin had no idea what happened and lied about it, mm-hmm. helped light the fire of those riots in Wisconsin. Yep, and found out later on the cops were completely one hundred percent right, mm-hmm. and the NBA stood behind LeBron James on that. Mm-hmm. How reprehensible! That's one of the reasons. If you listen to the show, you know on many things that happen immediately, and everybody wants an instant opinion. We have told conservatives, don't do that. Don't jump on an emotional bandwagon of a possible criminal offense unless you know the specific details on it. Right. That's what the left does. Yep. There's no reason for it. None. It gets you nowhere. Except burned when you realize, oh, I jumped on it without knowing. Yeah. And, again, that's you destroy your credibility going forward. Why would you do that? 866-90-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. Drivers should be familiar with how their actions affect their motor carrier's compliance, safety, accountability, or CSA score, in the seven basic categories. The driver fitness score is based on the physical and medical qualifications of drivers. The vehicle maintenance category requires drivers to know how to inspect CMVs and secure cargo. Hours of service compliance relies on drivers keeping accurate records of duty and abiding by hours of service limits. The unsafe driving category is affected by unsafe driving behaviors such as failing to wear a seatbelt or obey traffic laws. Drivers should understand the drug and alcohol prohibitions to prevent hurting their carrier's controlled substances and alcohol basic score. And drivers who transport hazmat must know how to safely transport hazardous materials according to the regulations. The final basic category, crash prevention, is based on how many crashes a motor carrier has been involved in, so drivers must know how to drive safely to avoid crashes. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. 
Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carling. I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up on in the bottom of the hour, uh, the actual story. We actually commented on it but didn't read the, uh, the story yet of State Farm. Uh, pulling uh, home insurance out of, uh, if you currently have it, you can keep it. Right, there will yeah, be they not, won't write no, new policies. Yeah, new policies will not be written for State Farm. We'll get to uh, mm-hmm. that. Speaking of race, Representative Jamal Bowman, part of the squad, told the New York Times that black Americans and voters have lost hope for reparations because Democrats haven't done a good job explaining how it would work. Mm. Well, yeah, they have. Yeah. I think they've want, done a very good job. You want a million bucks? Yeah. Because right. uh, people have lost hope. And this this is really interesting. We haven't done enough to engage and explain how it would work, arguing that it would help the economy. Really? Wouldn't help the economy? Uh, be devastating to the economy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. The inflation would go through the... If you did it on a national level of $14 trillion, Forget it. <laughs> Forget Stop. it. Stop. Interesting, when they look at the polling here, all the polling is a couple of years old. I asked you the question last week, why won't anyone, any pollster, do, because we normally when reparations comes up, they'll do polling on it. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any polling on the specifics because they talk about, yeah, the majority of blacks want reparations, even though 6 and 10 uh, blacks that want reparations don't believe it'll ever happen. Right. Then they go to other, they go to Hispanics and Asians where it was like 33% and 31% approval, the rest being against. But that was from 2021. Mm. Ask the question now with the amounts behind it. Yeah. And so much conversation about it recently. Does that have any influence on the polls? Certainly it would be. Especially with the number out there. Well, because if you think, if, if you're, if you think the conversation may may lead to a greater chance in it happening, then you start getting those those polls, and they started they start changing drastically. Do you get the sense that Democrats just want to drop this? Yes, I mean you see. A, I think Newsom would want nothing know, more than you, to drop this. You see a few stories like Cory Bush coming out and uh, Jamal Bowman, but you don't see mainstream Democrats coming out and saying, these are great plans that we should do. No. You don't see any of that. I think Democrats want reparations to go away. I think that's what they would want ultimately. I think Newsom wants it to go away. Remember, oh, yeah. Reparations are just all about money. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's exactly what it's about. What are you talking about? Everybody knows it's about money. But I wonder if you put the amounts there and the effect that it would have on the budget. I'd like to see the polling numbers done on Americans. And, for example, if you're in California, if you're in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. use the actual amounts and what the total amount would be. And explain to people that it's, you know, this time's the amount of a yearly budget. And what the consequences would be if you did it for the city's budget or the state's budget. Mm Mm-hmm. Why won't anybody poll that? We poll everything. Why won't they poll that? Yeah, I, you know. Because reparations will get slaughtered in the, well, in the poll. The problem, the Democrats don't want it polled. Yeah. 
I'm wondering where the pollsters are. Because if you if you break no, it down... Nobody in the liberal media will buy that well, poll. Well, that's it. <laughs> Who's going to pay for it, right? And then how do you do that? Because it becomes enormously expensive the more detailed the poll. Because if you break it down and say, okay, like I asked the question a couple of weeks ago. All right, let's take a poll. Uh, for those who believe in reparations, should it be a million Less than a million, more than a million, right? You, you, you just try and keep mm-hmm. it simple. And because if you get into the details of it and, and have these open-ended questions, it would be enormously expensive, and the pollsters aren't going to spend the money because none of the media are going to buy it. But if you did just a simple poll, where would it be? Where would that number fall? Well, I think you would do it to break it down a little bit because you can, you know, you can ask a question on the phone, and one would be is separate the people that would get reparations versus those that would not get it, right? And you know, make that into a subcategory: recipients, non-recipients, right? Right. No, I think that I, it would be. I would be interested. I wonder again about the liberal media, as you <laughs> mentioned, who's going to buy it. You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And he is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Well, here you go. Reading this from Breitbart. California residents can no longer submit applications for home and business insurance to State Farm. A new policy went into effect May 27th, but it does not impact personal car insurance. The company will continue to service existing clients for their home and business insurance. This means clients can make claims on property already covered by their insurance. Quote from the company, State Farm General Insurance Company made this decision due to historic increases in construction costs, outpacing inflation, rapid growing, catastrophic exposure, and a challenging reinsurance market. It's necessary to take these actions now to improve the company's financial strengths, We will continue to evaluate our approach based on changing market conditions in 2021. State Farm was the largest insurance provider in California, collecting over $7.2 billion in premiums, but the company suffered a loss of $4 billion. Mm -hmm. In addition to covering repairs made to, to personal property, insurance companies may also be required to cover living expenses for those displaced according to the California Department of Insurance. Well, that gets back then to regulation. Yeah, right. Wild, uh, wild uh, firefighting, uh, firefighting agencies responded to 7,396 fires that burned 2,569,000 acres in California in 2021. Uh the uh, we recognize the governor's the governor's administration, legislators, and California Department of Insurance for their uh, wildfire loss mitigation efforts. A statement read: We pledge to work constructively with the CDI and policymakers to help build market capacity in California. However, 
it's necessary to take these actions now to improve the overall financial strength. State Farm is not the first to end home insurance coverage in California. In 2022, American International Group notified its 9,000 clients in California that they would not be renewing their home insurance, the Washington Post reported. Hmm. Not, I mean, not surprising. No, you're going to, uh, at some point, you're going to hit that threshold with other insurance providers as well. Uh, we haven't heard anything yet, but naturally other companies are going to follow suit. If it becomes too expensive, and these are all, if you think about it, it's not just um, their reluctance to mitigate uh, forest fires. It's also the cost of regulation that adds to, it's not just inflation. The California inflation mm-hmm. is built on uh, and has been for many years uh, the the cost of government in, in California. It's becoming too expensive to build a home and live in California. So, look, you have other parts of the country that deal with uh, natural catastrophes. That happens quite a bit. Florida. Yep. Coast of Texas. Yep. Tornado Alley. I mean, Oklahoma and the Midwest that keeps getting hit over and over and over again with tornadoes. But that's not something that. You know, because they do mention in this and and a number of the stories, including climate change. This isn't about climate change. Oh, this is about what the state is not doing. If the state isn't willing to do their part in mitigating it, expect other companies to pull out. Because you're going you're just it's a loser all day. And there's no way you would be there's, – there's a reason that you have uh, – like if you own a beach house, your insurance is through the roof for a reason. One hurricane, it wipes it out. So you got to pay for that. But here's the problem with California is that there are plenty of people that may not have exposure to wildfires – but the shared cost, here's what likely they're fi- finding at State Farm, is that as you raise the rates, then fewer people want to go with State Farm, right? You're going to have to raise the rates in order to cover your costs. I don't know if they're the largest homeowner insure- insurer in California. But they're one of the largest in the nation. So it stands to reason that other uh, homeowners that are not really at risk for losing their home to wildfires, you're having to share part of that cost. And the cost of regulation, of course, as we mentioned, with the California-specific inflation is something, too, that everybody has to pay for. And people wonder, okay, why is my insurance premium jumping? Well, because in the event of a catastrophe then you're going to have to, this is what they're going to have to pay out. And you're going to have to pay. That's what insurance is all about. You're paying for that risk. Well, you mentioned climate change. Jane Fonda 
Mm-hmm. Back in the news, All right. she blamed men and racism for climate change during a conversation at uh, this year's Cannes Film Festival, arguing that without the patriarchy, the crisis allegedly of epic proportions would cease to exist. Yeah. This is serious, she said. We've got about seven, eight years to cut ourselves in half of what we use in fossil fuels. And unfortunately, the people that have the least responsibility for it are hit the hardest. Global South, people on islands, poor people of color. It's a tragedy that we have uh, to absolutely stop. We have to arrest and jail those men. They're all men behind this. There's not one female behind it? Apparently, no, not one female. It's all the patriarchy. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all white men, of course. And Some, so you know, arrest so, them. Put them in jail. By the way, somebody mentioned the <laughs> number of elite rich white men that she had been married to yeah. and the houses that they lived in and how they contributed and the house she lives in now. And it's like, no, 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 we're not going to talk about any of that. Not well, one of them is still, I when, think, uh, the second uh, one of her former husbands is still either the second or third largest landowner in the U.S., mm-hmm. private landowner, Ted Turner. Yeah. So is she, and if may, t- maybe that's where... And, and if you're talking patriarchy... Ah, yeah. <laughs> maybe... Does Ted Turner fit that definition? M- well, maybe this is where she's going with this. Put Ted Turner in jail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, it's personal. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. Mm. Yeah. Okay, now we know. <laughs> it's a beef with an X. Okay, I get it. By the way, it now. she did blame white men. It was white men that she blamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah. white men. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she specifically blamed white. And you think about it, I mean she and it was also pointed out the big house she lives in now and the big mm-hmm. houses she has lived in now. It's like, well, you're contributing to climate change. Well, no, I just did what the man said. Oh, so you submitted right. to the patriarchy. Yeah. Right. I mean, what? where are we going here? Right, right. So you don't think for yourself? <laughs> it's, oh, Hillary. Okay. Hillary was right? Right. I, I guess she was. She must be right. Yeah. <laughs> Independent and Democratic women would have voted for her, but they obey their man. Yeah. It's the patriarchy. Right. Now with their trans, with their, with their, uh, uh, stance on the transgender issue where a men decide men decide what a woman is it's really tough for them to be talking about the patriarchy when the left has now admitted that men decide what women are mm-hmm. yeah i mean is there anything more that you can say or is more radical patriarchy than men saying we should compete in sports against women <laughs> i mean they're all over the place yeah oh uh, let's see here. This is from last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ted Turner still one of the largest. Uh, he's third largest private landowner. Put Ted Turner in jail. <laughs> Clearly, that's what she's saying. <laughs> Two million acres is what he owns. Wow. John Malone tops him with 2.2 million. 
and the Emerson family, 2.4 million acres. Put to, to put Ted Turner in jail. I've got a sixth Clearly of an acre. Answer. Yeah. I've got some acreage, but I'm never going to be on that list. <laughs> or maybe I'm a quarter acre. I forgot how large it is. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm one of the smallest landowners <laughs> in America. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, distant cousins of mine had uh, plenty of land. But I have a big pool on that. Yeah. Land, so the- there you go. It's mostly water. Right. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> He's captured all of that water. <laughs> I have more for one person. I have more water per acre than anybody else exactly. on the planet. <laughs> when you factor in both bathtubs and the pool, <laughs> oh my gosh, he's killing the planet. He's killing the planet, and he doesn't even let the ducks swim in his pool. My gosh, what hey, does it come to? Best thing happened the other day. Yeah, what's that? My cat's now an alarm clock, or not alarm clock, is a is an alarm, not an alarm clock, mm. when the ducks are in the pool. Ah, there you go. Mm. She went crazy the other day. She just, and I, I'm, I'm sitting going to sleep, and all of a sudden she just jumped right off me and jumped right to the window. I go, what are the ducks out there? I got up, looked out, the duck was there, and I went, all right, you're finally doing your damn job. There you go. Now you're being productive. Right. See, that's what happens. I get a new cat, and I, after about six months, I go, you know, you don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Go to college or something, you know, or yeah. find a trade. You tried a fake owl, didn't you, at one point? Yeah, had that fake owl. That didn't work, though. Did you try a real owl? No, but the, you know, <laughs> what worked, I just didn't, I didn't uh, use them this year. I don't know, because I didn't have that many ducks. It's hardly mm-hmm. happened at all. But these great big, uh, like, uh, inflatable balls that have, like, looks like a target, but it looks like a big eye. Mm-hmm. And if they, if you you timed a little string on it, and they, you know, they bounce all around, and the ducks think it's a eye of a predator. Right, yeah. So that actually worked last year. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I had some, and I put them in, and they were gone. I've just been too lazy this year. Yeah. Uh, I have to blow them up and then tie the string around it, and I've been too lazy. <laughs> that's a lot of work. I, <laughs> that's a That's two steps. I know. That's... <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> it's like okay, the cat react. I'll let the cat, I guess the ducks win. Cat, the cat will do the work from now on. I'll just go out and yell at them. But yeah, I just open the door and yell, "Get ah, out! Get out of my yard!" They they fly out. I'm pretty safe now because really mating season for the most part's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it should be. Yeah, there'll be fewer ducks even around. So yeah, eight six six ninety red eye. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio toll free at eight six six ninety red eye. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Coney, and I'm Gary McNamara. Let's go to Susie in Huntsville, Alabama, about uh, California and State Farm uh, dropping uh, home insurance for uh, future, uh, well, I guess, uh, policyholders. Hi, mm-hmm. Susie. You're on Red Eye Radio. Hi. Hi. I want to talk about the unsustainable fairness of the wilderness designation, and this is a, a federal issue that I know our states are heavily involved in, but I believe it 
will require the moral courage of our mayors to work together, not just in the state of California, but in all Western states, where Western states have a wilderness designation layered within the Forest Service intended to protect endangered species. However, there's a line drawn between when do we get to protect ourselves? For one thing, we can't access State Farm if we're in California and we want a new policy. Can't protect our our own property because of the unsustainable fairness of this wilderness designation to protect endangered species. We're losing life, land, water, um, and and endangered species. I mean, those endangered owls are charred in those devastated forest. And so I believe this is going to require, again, the moral courage of our mayors working in a class action manner with our uh, commercial industry, like the state farms um, and other insurance well, and the companies, states. Yeah. to bring about the, yeah, a change. The, state, the states. Yeah, the states, too. Yeah, I, you know. It, and the states. Yeah. And, and, you know, when when there is a change in where there's a declassification from wilderness land, the Forest Service has had their budget cut in each year for over a decade. So even if we were to deregulate or withdraw the, the designation of wilderness within those Forest Service lands, the Forest Service isn't equipped to manage those lands. Right. Without thanks. Industry. We're, so we're going to have to. Yeah, uh, we're, we're just uh, out of time. Know, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Susie. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of Season 2 of the hit podcast series, In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge Seasons 1 and 2 of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen. Hey guys, welcome to the Candy Valentino Show. I'm Candy Valentino. I was a founder before I could legally order a drink. And for more than two and a half decades, I've built, scaled, acquired, and exited multiple businesses in diverse industries. Now my goal is to help you by sharing the knowledge that I've learned, the mistakes that I've made, and the wisdom that I've developed over my journey. Bi-weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday. The Candy Valentino Show, wherever you listen.